0: It was a Friday night, and I just sat down at my kitchen table after a long day of campaigning. After knocking on approximately a hundred doors, I took my daughter to her swimming class, returned home with her, and, as I typically did when I had a free moment, I glanced down at my Twitter account to see what was going on in the world. I immediately noticed a strange tweet directed to me from a producer at CNN, asking me about a fence-jumping incident at the White House. I hadn't heard anything about the incident because I was driving with my daughter just minutes prior, but I didn't think there was much of a story there because no one else was emailing or calling me from the media about it. Whenever incidents had happened relating to the Secret Service, my cell phone and email account would erupt with media requests and, absent the tweet, I hadn't heard from anyone figured it was a minor story on a slow news night. After the incident with the Secret Service in Cartagena, Colombia, I was accustomed to media pylons. But the media firestorm White House fence jumper Omar Gonzalez initiated was unlike anything I'd lived through in the past, as this story grew geometrically and eventually led to the downfall of most of the Secret Service's upper-level management. The lesson we can all take away from this incident is that sometimes, even the Secret Service takes security for granted, and in this new era of global terrorism threat assessment and management, and the prevalence of soft targets, security is probably an afterthought at your workplace as well. I, along with many of my former Secret Service colleagues, saw the security failures of September 19, 2014, the date of the fence-jumping incident coming. We all wished away the threat and hoped that the clearly inadequate security fence surrounding the White House would one day be replaced with a barrier adequate enough to separate the President of the United States from the legions of serious threats to his life roaming around the exterior of the White House crowns. There are a number of visually impressive centers of power in Washington, D.C., ranging from the Capitol Building to the Supreme Court, but there are few magnets for the attention of psychopathological assassins like the White House. When I served as an agent in the New York Field Office's Protective Intelligence Section, the division that investigates presidential threat cases that come to our attention, I was consistently amazed at the creativity displayed in the minds of potential assassins with regard to the reasons they were targeting the President or the White House. While reading some of their letters or during our interviews with these subjects, they would state reasons ranging from they're hiding aliens in the White House to the President stole my girlfriend. Many of these clearly disturbed men and women had never had contact with the mental health system, and I viewed my role in the protective intelligence section as more of a social worker one than a law enforcement one. It is shocking how so many of these deeply disturbed people live alternate lives of sincere paranoia and psychological distress, yet function almost normally in other portions of their lives, and, therefore, they avoid detection while walking among us. One particular case stands out to me as an example of this phenomenon. I will call him Joe to preserve his anonymity. Joe came to my attention through a series of threatening letters he authored which were written to people under the protection of the Secret Service, and they all had the warning signs of a potentially dangerous threat case. One of those warning signs that may seem counterintuitive to the casual observer is target shifting. When a psychologically disturbed individual threatens or shows an unusual interest in a number of different targets, for example, politicians, celebrities, sports figures, and isn't focused on one specific person, that is a historical indicator of an elevated threat based on the thousands of interviews the Secret Service has conducted in their extensive research on threat assessment. Films such as In the Line of Fire, starring Clint Eastwood, which tells the story of a singular obsession with the assassination of the president by an assassin played by John Malkovich, give the impression that the most dangerous potential assassins are those that are laser-focused on one target. But the Secret Service's internal research and experience points to the opposite conclusion. Those who promiscuously target numerous people with their pathological thoughts and desires are far more dangerous. A potent example is the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley. Hinckley was motivated not by an obsession with Reagan—Hinckley actually targeted President Jimmy Carter before settling on Reagan—but by a desire to impress actress Jodie Foster, who he had grown pathologically attached to. When I first read Joe's letters, his target shifting, and the detail by which he laid out exactly what he wanted to do to the various people he was obsessed with, I knew he had a problem.